away with? His own. It's not your neighbours. It's not the guy sitting next to you. It's not your mammy and daddies. You get drawn away by your own lusts and enticed. And when lust had conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death, the Bible says. You know, the purpose of the chart that we have is to help uh, each one of us just to know the, the cycle or the pattern of going from being tempted to being involved in sin. And it's just a helpful tool that I found. Um, and we will see how far we get down the chart by the end of, by the, end of the night. Um, John 8.34 says, And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. And that word servant there gives you the idea of somebody that becomes a slave to something. They become empowered, that they lose power over themselves and they become a slave to it, become a servant of sin. Um, so what we need to do is we need to break that cycle. We need to break free of being a slave uh, and walk in victory. God didn't uh, come in and, and save you to, for you to walk in defeat. He wants you to walk in victory. You know, the Christian who's living in defeat, you know, you can, under, you can get to the place where you walk in victory no matter how long you've been walking in defeat. If you're not saved tonight, that's your first step, I suppose, along the way. You need to get saved and trust Christ, become a Christian. And that's where you start going down the road of victory. You know, but we need to learn to recognize where we fall, where we do wrong. Recognize the strongholds that are in our lives. Recognize, in a sense, the triggers that we have to certain mindsets, to certain temptation. Um, and when somebody falls, when we're working in the men's home and we see somebody fall back into their own addiction, oftentimes they fall back in for the same reasons that they've fallen before. Very rare is the person that falls for something different. We, we normally fall for the same old thing that we've done before. You know, but if you can recognize the process and you can recognize the direction that, that you're headed in your thinking and in your life, it can really help you. And when you get to the place, if you're in defeat at the moment, then you're thinking, I can never, I can never get right, I can never stay clean. You know, that's just not biblically true. You can have victory and sustained victory in your life. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And it doesn't mean you'll never fall either. But you can have sustained victory. Paul said in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The problem with us is, we can do all things. We, can't, we can do most things. Uh, in our own strength and we think that's enough but it's not enough we need to do all things through Christ which strengthens us so let's look at our sheet we'll work down through it um, it starts off by being tempted I am tempted and Satan and his host of in a sense uh, wicked spirits initiate temptation so this is we're going to spend more time on point number one I suppose than, than most other points uh, because I think it's a real key point for us um, you know, Satan has access to your mind to place thoughts there. Not control your mind, but to place, I suppose, to send thoughts there. And, uh, you know, the thoughts and temptations that he can send your way are like the small sparks that start forest fires. You know, you just never know where it's going to take you or you never know how much damage it's going to do. It always starts off by a little thing that you're thinking about. And uh, Satan's voice starts, uh, starts the thoughts going, I suppose. Have you got Genesis, uh, book of Genesis? Right, grab your Bible out, just so we don't get lazy. Grab your Bible, keep your sheet, 
Go to the first book of the Bible. It's the book of Genesis. Go to chapter 3. Chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. And, and this is the first temptation in the Bible. Alright? It's the first time somebody gets tempted. This is the first temptation that leads to sin. It's the first temptation that leads to defeat. And um, you're going to see how it starts off. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Look at, look at what the Bible says. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle. That word subtle there means crafty or sly or snaky. That, that, and now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman. So what happened? He said unto the woman. When you get tempted, you're going to get the temptation speaking to you. And just like it did to Eve, and the, and the serpent said to the woman, Yea, had God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Satan asked her a question. And it's the temptation kicking off here. And every single wicked thing that's ever been done in the world uh, has come from this temptation. And her yielding to this temptation and eating of the fruit in the, in the Garden of Eden. Everything that's ever gone wrong started at this place. You know, uh, the woman Eve starts by being tempted. At this point, she falls for it. Um, and remember, we looked in the book of, book of James earlier. And when lust had conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, the next bit says, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You see, it doesn't happen at the moment of the temptation or the moment of sin even. There's a journey to be had in sin. There's a journey to be had in sin. You know, and, and oftentimes that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the pleasure sometimes of the journey. But when it is finished, when, the, when it's had its way with you, it bringeth forth death. By the end of this passage in this woman's life, not by the end of this because it's a number of years later, but by the end of this passage, this woman Eve, who's the mother of us all, this woman Eve will find herself on her knees, weeping in a field, holding her bloodied son in her hands, weeping over him. Because her other son bludgeoned him to death in the field. It all started with this temptation. It all started by Satan saying to her, um, had God said, Satan said to the woman, had God said, started with the temptation, she bought into the temptation, and the end thereof, and sin, when it is finished, along its journey, left her in a place where she's sitting, she has her son who's dead in her arms, they have to bury, they have to bury Abel, and now one son is dead, and the other son lives the life of an outcast and murderer. Sin, when it is finished, bring a forth death. What else died? She spiritually died. She spiritually died when she sinned that day. Uh, and so did Adam and, and mankind from there. Her relationship with God was never the same. Her relationship with Adam was never the same. Never the same. Can you imagine everything that went wrong after that place? Adam just looking at her going, It's just your fault. If you hadn't taken that fruit that day, we'd be still in there. Um, I'm sure that's what happened anyway. Doesn't say it. I think it says it in the in the original, but it doesn't say it in the English. Um, so uh, what else went uh, and happened that day? She, you know, she had her son. Her, her son by the end of the story murders her other son. You know, and, and all that started by Satan speaking to her and the temptation starting. 
And we need to be real, real careful when the temptations come in and start speaking. Because they're coming from the devil often and just getting you going. On your sheet, do you have... Let me see what you have. It'd be easier if I have the sheet too. Um, no, you, you don't have it. Um, uh, First Chronicles uh, says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. That's when David went into sin numbering Israel. Satan spoke to him to start the going. Uh, Matthew 4, 1 says, Then Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Uh, John 13, 2 says, And a super being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So Satan comes and he puts thoughts and ideas into our hearts. He comes to the place where he initiates temptation in us. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. Put on, uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of, the, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Temptation will always start with that little voice coming into your head trying to convince you that it's okay and he will play it so you will see evil as being good okay and it will seem like it's going to be good for you look at the next bit no, point number two on your, on your map there temptation appeals to our fleshly desires we are enticed by our own desire to please our flesh um, temptation appeals to my fleshly desires it appeals for me to do the things that really deep down I want to do. James 1.14 says, But every man is tempted and drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It's our own lust that we get enticed with. The temptation appeals and it seems good to us and it appeals to our flesh. Um, Galatians 5.16 says, uh, And this I say then, walk in the spirit... And you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusted against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And they are contrary or the opposite of one another. So that they cannot do the things that ye would. You know, if you want to get victory over sin. You have to learn the key. Uh, or that relationship of walking in the spirit. Uh, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The Bible says. Uh, let's move along. Number three. Uh, I begin to entertain thoughts, thus making a choice for sin. When I am tempted, then I move into temptation, appeals to Satan's voices in the temptation, then I, the temptation appeals to my flesh, the things I want to do, and then I start thinking about it, I entertain the thought, and you know, it's going around in my mind, and those thoughts that we're thinking, those, you know, they fuel the desires for sinful action. It's like, you know, it's just the more you think about it, the more likely it is that you're going to do it. The longer you let the thought linger, the more chance that you're going to go into it. Um, the Christian must learn to bring every thought, the Bible says, into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, it says, Casting down... Imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We need to get to the place where when them thoughts start, 
that we cast them down, that you bring every thought into captivity. What does it mean to bring something into captivity? Okay, you ever go to zoo? The lions are in captivity. They're caged. They're brought into a place where they're not able to just roam around, thankfully. You're running around the zoo getting chased by a lion wouldn't be helpful. Um, there's thoughts that we let around run around our minds that really aren't helpful to us. And the devil, as a roaring lion, seek, uh, walking about seeking whom he may devour. And we let these thoughts in. They run around our head. We entertain them. We think about them. We mull them over. Instead of casting them down and bringing them to, into the obedience of Christ. Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust after her. In other words, to entertain lustful thoughts in your mind about her. You have committed adultery in your heart. Matthew five twenty-eight. Well, so it's hard. I mean, it's not easy, the stuff that we're talking about. Because it happens in the mind. And nobody else knows what's happening in your mind. You can be saying and doing all the right things, but in your mind you're not. And nobody else will know but you and God. So you need to be careful to know that God knows exactly what you're thinking all the time. Confession and repentance can take place at this part of the the journey and the cycle of sin. And if you would stop, you you, you would stop yourself and you would get your thinking right. You wouldn't fall into the act itself. So... Up till this point, you can, you can, you know, you're, you're good to stop yourself, and you can get victory here, and it'll be good for you. But once you continue on, when you get tempted, then the temptation appeals to what you want to do, and then you start to entertain or, you know, encourage those thoughts. You entertain the thoughts, and then you go on to point four. Now you start walking in the direction of sin, and you know you can be walking while you're sitting. You're walking in your mind. You're going towards a certain uh, action. You're going towards a certain thought. You can be walking. Now you're starting to walk in the direction of sin. Uh, and the, the, the first level of involvement with sin, uh, if you look at Psalm 1 verse 1, look at that in your sheet there. Um, Psalm 1 verse 1, the middle of your sheet. It says, um, Blessed is the man that walketh, what's the next word? Not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what? When, when you start walking in the direction of sin, you're in trouble. Because uh, you're not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. When you start walking in that counsel, what's, what does it mean to get counsel? Wisdom. Advice. Yeah, you're, you're hearing wisdom or getting advice. You're taking on board somebody else's instructions to you. When you start letting those temptations in that are kind of trying to promote you to do something, trying to convince you to do something, and you entertain them and you let them in, then you start moving towards them because you've let them in and you're making a decision. You're moving towards them. The Bible says, listen, you'll be happy if you don't do that. But there's pain if you do. There's consequences if you do. Look at number five. Conscience warns me that this is wrong. Do you know what? You know... The law of God is written in, in every man. Every man knows it's wrong to do, to do things that, that are wrong. You know, we know it's wrong to murder. We know it's wrong to steal. There are just things that are already programmed in, built into us that we know are right and wrong. And nobody has to teach us. And that's why when a kid is doing something wrong, you know, they know to hide it or not to let somebody see. Because it's written in their hearts that they shouldn't be doing it. 
you know, our conscience tells us that we're wrong. Look at Romans 2. I think you have it on your sheet. Um, no, maybe you don't have it on your sheet. There's going to be loads of verses that you don't, right? Uh, Romans 2, it says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, by nature do the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves. Verse 15. But which show the, uh, but which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts demean uh, uh, while uh, accusing or excusing one another. Uh, and it's already built into us. Uh, you know, God has it built into us. This is, the, uh, this is because we are made in the image of God and we, if we know what's right and wrong. We have that sense uh, by God given to us. You know, if you're saved and you're a Christian tonight, you'll also have the Holy Spirit living in your heart. And He will. He is the Holy Spirit who doesn't want to be involved in wrongdoing. He will convict and convince you to go in a different way and do different things. Um, and the wise thing to do is to listen and respond to God's way. And there's still a way to escape provided by God at this point. Um, on your sheet there, Second uh, Timothy 2 verse 22 says, what's the first word of that verse? Flee. Flee. Okay. Uh, flee youthful lusts. Get away from them. But follow, af- but, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that are uh, call on, uh, on the Lord out of a pure heart. All right. So flee those lusts that you have, those youthful lusts. Second Peter two eleven. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. So there's a fleeing, there's an abstaining which war against your soul. First Corinthians ten fourteen. For no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful; He will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able. But with the temptation, will also make a way of escape. So there's a fleeing, there's an abstaining, and there is um, there's a, an escape. Okay, there's an escape. Um, you have you can have victory at this point if you will listen and obey the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. If, but if you just keep going after the conscience warns you, uh, and you, are, you know what you're doing, at that point you know exactly what you're doing. But the problem is, most of the time we just don't listen. We just don't want to listen. Look at, very, look at uh, point number six. Point number six says, I ignore conscience. Or I suppress or ignore what I know to be right. Any of ever know something was right that you should do it? But you wanted to do the wrong thing. Isn't that, that's, that's, that's the battle. That's the war. That's what's going on. Uh, but we suppress or ignore uh, what I know to be right. Um, I, su- I suppress the truth to pursue my desires. I begin to follow the lie. And the lie will, I suppose, the, te- the temptation will speak to you. You'll have the devil speaking to you. You'll have your flesh speaking to you. And trying to convince you to go ahead. You deserve it. Nobody will know. It's only once. It's not a big deal. Should everybody does it. It's just part of life. You know, um, it's going to be okay. And you, get, you, try, you do be uh, having those... In a sense, those thoughts that everything's going to be okay if you do it, do it, do it. Because you're suppressing what you know to be right. You already know what, to be, what, what is right, but you're suppressing it. You're not wanting to do it. Romans 1.19 says this, Because that which uh, may be known of God is manifest in them. For God had showed 
unto them. Listen, God will show you what the right thing and wrong thing to do is if you'll just listen. Uh, whenever we ignore what is right and pursue what is wrong, we start down the road of being self-deceived. We know what's right, but we don't want to do it. We know what's right, but we start down the road of doing wrong. We become self-deceived. Uh, in other words, uh, in my mind, I, I suppose we have to have a, a thought or a way to justify what I'm doing wrong. So at this point, we'll start coming in with excuses. And we'll have reasons why we've done it. Um, and if you have fallen into sin of any kind uh, lately and you recognize that, you know, what excuses do you use in your mind for doing it? Well, somebody, somebody else gave it to me. Somebody else done it and I, I was just there and I had to do it with them. You know, or it can be a, a hundred different ways. Um, self-deception holds so many people in their sin. They, they kid themselves that, you know, they're not going to be able. They kid themselves that it's not too bad. Look at James 1.22. Uh, James 1.22 on your sheet. Um, right, we're flying. James 1.22. Um, says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know, James tells you you can deceive your own selves. You know what? You hear the word what's right. But you, 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 uh, but you don't want to do it is, is basically what it's saying. For if any, uh, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass or in a mirror. But for he beholdeth himself and goeth away and straightway forget what manner uh, a man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein... Um, uh, he being not forgetful, not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Listen, God wants to bless you, wants to give you victory, wants to help you to uh, walk right and do right. Um, it's in his best interest to do that. You know, it's, it's like if you, have a, if you have somebody coming out to dig your garden and, and you're meant to provide the tools and they have to dig your garden and they turn up your house to do the job, and, uh, and they say, where's the tools? And say, well, I didn't get the tools. You just need to get on with it. You know, God doesn't expect us to just get on with it. He provides all the tools that we need to live godly and do right in this present world, the Bible says. Um, you know, uh, only when the individual, I suppose, when we get to the place where we become broken about our sin, well, then we can, we can start to really make progress and, and move forward. Um, because when we're deceived, it's kind of it's hard to convince somebody uh, when they're when they're really deceived and they've been like that for a while. They just uh, very hard to, to get them to see the truth. And you remember when you were kids reading the story of the emperor's new clothes? Okay. Uh, tell me about the story. What happened in the story? And don't buy your kids that book, by the way. <laughs> Okay. But there's something very special about it. If you're a fool, you can't see it. So the king not wanting to appear a fool said he could see this marvelous seven clothes. So eventually, everybody in the court agreed with him that they could see it. One little boy, when they were given the mark, one little boy said, 
The story of the Emperor's New Clothes is a story of self-deception to the point where everybody else has been listening to him and they all become deceived too. And really it's about the king and the king being deceived. And let me tell you, we can so be deceived. You know, the devil can come in and, and present you with an opportunity to do wrong. And to be honest, sometimes it looks very valid and it looks good, it feels good. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, it can come and it can seem so appealing. But yet there's something inside you that tells you you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing this. And God deals with you. And then it's up to you what you do at that point. You can suppress or ignore what you know to be right. Or you can actually, uh, you can go with God and say, no, I shouldn't be doing this and I'm going to move forward. And remember, the Bible says in Psalm 18, 28, it says, For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. God will light your way. Loads of verses like that we could use. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 27, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. There's not a part of you or the decision that you make or a thought that you have that God doesn't, uh, that God misses. He is there all the time. Paul warns the people in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. He says, uh, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. So deception is a big part of what the devil does. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves and mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God, Paul says. Listen, Paul warns us not to be deceived, because it's so easy for us just to get deceived in our lives. Um, well, let's move on to the next one. Look at number seven. So we go from the place, I think you're going to be our verses. Um, so number seven we go from being tempted and that all starts with that little voice coming into our minds that little thought starting in our hearts to do wrong the temptation appeals to what we want to do we entertain the thoughts then at that point uh, then we ignore our conscience telling us to do the right thing uh, conscience warns me I start to walk towards the sorry, I start to walk towards the sin, then conscience warns me, I ignore my conscience, and then number seven, this is where I step into it, I commit sin. Bible says, and when sin had conceived, uh, sorry, when lust had conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Alright? So why does uh, why do we get in trouble with sin? Why do we get in trouble with sin? Why do we sin? It's because it just comes so naturally to us. Isn't it? It's like breathing. It's just so easy to do it. It just becomes so natural. It's actually, in a sense, when you've done it for, when, you, when you're born in it, it's who you naturally are. So, in a sense, you have to be controlled by something supernatural because naturally you'll just do wrong. Naturally, I'll just do wrong. I need. God's help to get victory and walk in victory. Uh, because the things that I fall for in sin, they look good. In Genesis 3, 6, uh, we looked at Genesis 3 earlier. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes 
and saw the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave unto her husband and he did eat. You know, it's, it's just, it, sin always, it looks good. It seems like it's going to benefit us. And then we go and do it. And all the time the devil's saying, do it, do it, do it. It'll be okay. It's good. No, you know, it's not going to hurt you. It's going to be good. But as soon as you do it, the conversation with him changes. And then he stands on the other side accusing you, saying, I can't believe you've done that. You're no good. You're never going to be any good. And he starts accusing you then after encouraging you to do it in the first place. Look at number eight. I become callous or I become desensitized to doing that wrong. When I continue to do wrong, I just become desensitized to it. And we are so, in our, in our culture today, we're so desensitized to, to sexual stuff, to violence, to you know, people just doing wrong. You know, it's, we just, because we, we see it so often, it's not a big deal to us. Not true? You know, there's things that, that we see on a regular basis, and we see them as being normal, even though they're not normal. You know, I read an article the other day that was saying about um, there's some film that they're making, and they're out there, there's two 13 year old boys, and it's the, the youngest um, homosexual kiss that's ever been in, uh, in the media. 13-year-olds. Um, that's just not right. It's just not right. And uh, what you have is you have two little, you know, confused boys. They're going through puberty. And, um, and they're probably they're living in a society where everything's okay. The people that are making the film uh, have an agenda, obviously. But the reality is they, they see it as being normal because they're desensitized to, to the wrongdoing that's going on. And we can become like that too. And I think it's important that we don't get to that place where we just say everything's okay. You have, to, you have to have some things in your life where, you know, me and the men, we had a meeting this morning. And um, there was a word that was being used around the men's home. And it's not a coarse word or anything like that. But it was just a word that I was uncomfortable with using. So I've asked everybody to stop using it. Um, because when, when you hear something all the time, it becomes normal. And then everybody starts using that word. You know? Um, you know, I have the, the, the four boys uh, up there uh, with Claire. And um, if my boys hear somebody say, oh my, uh, and you know, the, the other word that goes along with that, if I was to say it now, they would just look up and they would spot it right away because they're not desensitized to it. When they hear it, their ears prick up and it's, I've heard something that I shouldn't have heard. That's what, they, that's what, they're, that's what they're like. Um, but we get so used to hearing stuff, we become desensitized to it. And when you've gone to the place where you've made a decision and point number seven to commit the sin, you're engaged in it, you're committed to it, you're, you're doing it. Um, you're involved in it. And then when you keep doing that, the wrong that was so wrong when you started off doesn't seem so wrong then. Um, let me move through real quick. We become desensitized to it. Um, 1 Timothy 4.2 says this. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It gets to the place where we just become numb to seeing sin. Number nine, uh, yeah, number nine, the habit begins. So, we, you know, uh, 
what did it say about sin? It says, uh, ye that commit sin become the servant of sin. And isn't it true that sin is addictive? You know, we, we have New Hope Residential Centre and we have ORU here in the church. And um, that's because sin is addictive. And it doesn't matter what the sin is. All sin is addictive. You do it for long enough and, and you will get addicted to it no matter what it is. It's just the way, the way it works. Um, this, the habit begins. The habit begins and becomes part of me or, or in a sense second nature. And we all have a, a capacity for having a habit. Some of us have habits and they're not a big deal. You know, like a tea habit or, you know, whatever uh, kind of habit. Um, milk habit, yeah. That's another thing we talked about today. 18 litres of milk in 24 hours. What would you say to that, uh, mothers? Come on, mothers, speak up. What would you say to 18 litres in, in 24 hours? Oh, sorry, sorry. It was 30 litres. I got that wrong. 30 litres of milk in 24 hours. What would you say? Mrs. O, what would you say? I just want to say, it's Pastor's Wife Appreciation Month. Well done, Miss O. We really appreciate you. Uh, We love you. Uh, Just glad you're here. And uh, Pastor's Wife Appreciation Month, I thought that was good. I sent her that on Facebook. Really appreciate you. Um, But listen, when we keep doing sin, it becomes a habit. And the actual... The, the sinful action that we're doing becomes second nature to us. We just bec- keep doing it. Uh, turn to Romans 6 with me. Romans 6. I'm running out of time, so I am going to fly through the last couple of points. Because I am just out of time. This is why it took two weeks in you. Romans 6, verse 16 says this, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Uh, Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. Okay, you can become a servant of righteousness being made free from your sin. Uh, because of the gospel that you have heard. Verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh uh, or the sickness that you have in your flesh in the sense for, as for ye have yielded your member servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity even so now yield yourselves member even so yield your member servants to righteousness unto holiness the Bible says. I want you to look at that verse 19 because there's loads in it right? Um, it says, um, for as ye have yielded your members, your members' servants, to uncleanness and, on, and to iniquity, unto iniquity, you've been doing the stuff over and over and over again. Paul saying, listen, that's what you used to do when you were a slave to sin. He's saying, but now yield your, yield your members, your hands, your eyes, your feet, your tongue. Yield it to righteousness unto holiness. The same effort you put into doing wrong, put into doing right. You know, walk with God, do right. Um, uh, and verse 1 of Psalm 1 again. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And the second level of involvement in sin is the second part of that verse. It's now, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Okay, or standeth in the way of sinners. 
Um, so what number are we on? We're on nine to have it begins. Look at number uh, ten. The idolatry begins. What's idolatry? Does anybody know? Yeah, and it can be anything. It can be absolutely anything. Something you're putting uh, on front of God can become an idol. Uh, number 10, uh, desires are, are given uh, ultimate priority in your life and they become the idol. So that sinful act that you've started doing or gotten involved in, the habit has begun with it. You're doing it over and over again. You're searing your conscience with it. Um, it becomes an idol in your life. I'm not going to go into the verses for it, but if you're taking notes, uh, Ezekiel 14, 7 and 8. Uh, number 11 there, my life becomes enslaved to serving these desires or this, uh, this sinful action that I'm involved in. A pattern of allegiance or in a sense a ritual uh, starts in my life that that's just the way I live my life. Um, and again the verse that will go with that will be John 8.34 Jesus said very very I say to you whosoever committed sin is a servant of sin um, number 12 I become locked into that way of life when I get to the place where you know I'm, I'm doing it I'm doing wrong and I'm trapped in it you become locked into that way of life you enter to the third level of involvement in the sin uh, that's in Psalm 1 um, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So he starts off by listening to the uh, ungodliness and, and the wrongdoing. Then standing in the way of sinners. He's, he's hanging around it. He's starting to do it. And now he's got to the place where he's locked in as part of his life. He is sitting there in the seat of the scornful. He is uh, fully involved in it and doing wrong. Um, Um, so that's Psalm 1 look at one number 14 and we are done uh, time's up we have to be done because time's up uh, number 14 um, the slave and slavery to sin number 14 the life becomes dominated by sin and a life that's dominated by sin only leads to bondage destruction in somebody's life Proverbs 13 15 says, Good understanding, give it favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. And listen, the way of sin is hard. It's a hard way of way to live. Proverbs 14 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Uh, scary verse, but a really helpful verse. The, uh, the way of the way that seems right to a man because when you're getting involved in the sin remember it's going to seem like it's right to you you need to be real real careful so what is the outcome uh, to the sin that's in number 14 it's the last one number 14 the bible says the wages of sin is death the wages of sin is death physical death spiritual death the wages of sin is death do you think Eve knew that by the end of, uh, by the end of her life in, in the book of Genesis? Ooh, she knew it all too well. I wonder how many nights she went to sleep weeping, thinking back on the decisions that she made in Genesis 3. How many times she wished she could live that day over just one more time. She could make those changes again before the damage was done. But let me tell you, 
you don't have to make the same mistakes in the sense that Eve made. Uh, if Eve had heard a message like this and had known what the devil was doing and been more aware of, of uh, what was happening that day, maybe she wouldn't have made the same decision that she made that day. God is, is uh, wanting to help you to do right. God is good all the time. Paul tells us, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap ever, uh, life everlasting. The wages of sin is death. But that's the bad news. But the good news is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me encourage you, if you're doing wrong, uh, if you're living wrong, if you're doing wrong, God can give you the victory and you can do right. Uh, It's God's plan that you do right. It's in God's interest that you do right, that you bring glory to Him. He wants to help you. And remember, uh, you will have those times where the voice comes in and tempts you. If you'll reject those thoughts and bring every thought into the obedience of Christ, is this what I should do? Is this what God would have me to do? What's the fourth principle in our you? If God's against it, so am I. You know what? If you'll judge your thought life by that, you would walk in victory most of the time. If God's against it, so am I.